and Apex Lab Podcast. Hey there, welcome to the Level Up Engineering Podcast, where we speak to the most experienced technology leaders from around the world. So stay with us to learn actionable management insights to take your engineering team to the next level. This show is powered by Apex Lab, a team of experts in end-to-end digital product development. ApexLab.io Our guest today is Dan Rommel, who has filled engineering and people leadership positions at various Bay Area startups and has been the senior director of engineering at One Medical, a people-centered design and technology-based medical practice for almost two years. Welcome, Dan. Hi, thanks a lot. It's really great to be here. Thank you for joining us. Today's topic is psychological safety. Researcher Amy Edmondson identified um, the concept in 1999, I believe. Let's be clear about what it is and why it's important for our listeners. I'm forgetting the formal definition off the top of my head, but ultimately it's about groups or teams where uh, individuals feel safe enough to say what's on their mind and share their ideas and take risks without fearing any impact to their career, uh, traumatic impact to their career or to their interpersonal relationships with others in the group. And so when you when you have that, people can really bring them full selves to work. I think it's super important. There's a couple of ways to look at it. First, from the individual side, when you're working on a team that has psychological safety, it just feels better. You know, if you can show up and be yourself and speak, speak your thoughts and have your ideas truly heard, yeah, you just feel better. It, it, you know, if you're coming in to work and keeping your mouth shut or going with the flow or a cog in a big machine, there's not much fulfillment in that. I think the next level, which, you know, Google, when their Aristotle project uh, talked a lot about, and there's been some good uh, research around is if you're in a creative role, which engineering jobs and product jobs and design jobs and all of that in these teams we build are very much you have to think outside the box to put the pieces together or to invent new pieces entirely. If you're in an environment without psychological safety, uh, you're not comfortable bringing those creative ideas to the table. And then the greater thing to look at it then for the organization, if your teams are bringing these creative ideas to the table, slamming them together, rounding out the rough edges, figuring out what the better answers are, then your organization as a whole will benefit from better, faster solutions, creative thinking. And then, you know, as a, as a whole, the, the organization feels better if, if people are coming up with new ideas and being more productive uh, and, and moving the company's uh, metrics in the right way, then, then that's good for everyone. So I, I think that's why it's, it's really important. I don't think it's the silver bullet to fix any team's problem or fix any organization's problem. There's a lot of other stuff that you also have to get right, but I think it is one of the foundational pieces for uh, highly productive and effective teams. Mm -hmm. It sounds like it, surely. So I have read that um, there is a lot of confusion when it comes to psychological safety. How would you describe the difference between psychological safety and the comfort zone? You know, I think Brene Brown actually talks about this well. She uses this term rumbling with vulnerability or couple terms paired together there. And it's not about sitting back and just, you know, using mittens or whatever when you're around everyone and making everyone feel good about themselves. It's really about building enough trust 
to really challenge each other in a healthy way, have debate. Uh, Brene Brown uses that term rumbling uh, very specifically, I think, to get us to think differently about what healthy debate is, It's kind of an old term that's lost meaning in some ways. And so I think psychological safety is something that enables that. So I think that can be one thing. I think, again, to the other pieces that come to the table, without things like dependability and clarity and purpose, teams aren't necessarily motivated or driven or able to drive things in the right direction. So, so I think, you know, if people focus just on psychological safety, then they, they may fall into that comfort zone where things, you know, feel soft and squishy, but you know what, sometimes getting things done and making an impact isn't about necessarily being soft and squishy. Uh, mm -hmm. You have to dive in and find the rough edges and, and have the hard conversations and debates. And so I think that's the big difference is to just not settle for everyone kind of coming in with a smile on their face and not being offended mm -hmm. uh, in any way. Yeah. I'm gathering that real candor or even bluntness is one of the, the must-have requirements. What are the must-have requirements for psychological safety? Um, I think the way that I think about approaching this first and, and most things, I think people sometimes look at management as a, as a manager or a leader that you have to have all these like secret tricks in your, in your back pocket or something that you know you're doing, but nobody else does. I think the first thing is just transparency, talking about it, saying, you know, don't have smoke and mirrors and do things behind the scenes. Say like, hey, this is important. Psychological safety is something that I believe in and the organization should believe in and I hope you all can learn about and believe in with me. So you're not trying to pull strings like a puppet master. You are making this a team value, team effort to create this as a part of your company values or your team values. I think the next phase, once people kind of understand what this is and why it's important, then it's, it's about creating a voice for your team and talking to them explicitly about what this voice is. And so How do you make spaces for people to share their opinions, share their ideas up to you as a leader, across to their peers? Even how do you make sure that your voice is carried down? Sometimes people think that's the easy one is when leadership says, hey, we're headed this direction. Sometimes it's actually not communicated that well and some things are lost in translation. So being very intentional about the network of communication in your organization mm -hmm. I think the other piece then is once those channels are created, being very aware of creating equal talk time. That was one thing that Amy and a number of people pointed out that embracing the diversity in your group of personality types and uh, embracing your own levels of difference and making sure that managers are tuned to it and it's very transparent that we're trying to get everyone to participate in this practice of just communicating pretty openly with one another. And then I think the last thing is making room for mistakes, having a culture and values where, you know, um, if things don't go as planned, then that's a part of the game we're playing and part of the process and having ways to learn from it, seeing that as an opportunity to get better and improve the organization rather than just kind of, you know, call someone out and, and have punishment that follows from that. It sounds very wonderful. And actually, one of my one of my first, um, you know, feelings is it sounds kind of utopistic in a in a sense. How do you build psychological safety in, in developer teams when, when it yeah. when it comes to one medical, for example? It sounds great, but uh, it, it takes work. Um, and so I think the some of the key components going back to 
that transparency is just building a foundation of education and championing ownership of this thing uh, across your organization. So as a leader, as a manager, just openly talking about it, sending around articles, different ways that people can learn about it. I think the the other piece is then in that ownership, uh, empowering continuous improvement for people to look at how they're doing things, have ownership of how they're doing things. And in you giving them permission, it's kind of funny, but giving them permission to change it and get better at, at the way they do things and not kind of dictate down, this is ABC, how we're going to do things. The next step is creating that voice is I really believe in one-on-ones. It's something here at One Medical that we invest a lot of time in. Mm-hmm. It's, it's hard because it seems like they're the easiest things to reschedule and delay. But consistent one-on-ones with your team members are, are really important. That builds a voice where uh, individuals have, have time to talk to you. That's important as a manager, as a leader, is that it's, it's their time to communicate to you, not the other way around. Mm-hmm. It's their agenda. As a team, having really good, consistent retrospective practices. So taking the time to put on the brakes, say, wow, like we've been working hard for a week or two weeks. What went well? What went poorly? What could we, you know, what should we double down on that really went well? Or, you know, what questions do we have? And, um, and investing in that equal talk time in those building out practices and processes. I think there's a, a Wikipedia page or a, um, somewhere that has like a hundred different types of retrospectives you can run. Yes. Finding ones that, that work for your teams and really being consistent with those. Again, it seems like, oh, what is the value add of this meeting? Because um, it doesn't have direct impact for the customer or what have you. But what it, it, it really is about your, uh, it's your acceleration measure is how quickly can you solve problems and blockers and things that are getting in your way and uncover frustrations and resolve those. These are all frictions that slow you down and make things feel weird. Back to the other piece is how do you create room for mistakes? I, I use the word mistakes and not failure. In Silicon Valley and the broader startup culture where We've, I think we overuse failure and in organizations, you don't want full failure. You don't want to have everything come crashing down. You know, sometimes it does, but you don't want to shut the company down. <laughs> yeah. That's failure. So making room for mistakes by one, having a blameless culture. So doing really healthy postmortems or some people call them instant response retrospectives. When something does go wrong, hey, we've got this, this blameless structure where we go and get a group of us together and just talk through it not pointing fingers, but really bringing curiosity to the table, like, hey, like, let's dig down to the root cause of how we got down this path. Where did we miss something? And how can we protect ourselves from that at a root level in the future? And that like builds more structure and teaches people and and safety nets for people to take risks in the future. And so some of it is, you know, practical safety nets, you know, being able to roll back your infrastructure quickly or psychological safety nets of knowing like a, a postmortem can actually be a cathartic experience for somebody who accidentally brought your whole service down to have a space like, oh, I know how to walk through um, reconciling this, right? Like I, you know, I fat fingered something and shouldn't have typed a command and then I did, or, you know, I pushed a bad piece of code and things went awry. That can be really, you know, if people have ownership over things, that can be really hard to deal with psychologically. And if you have a process and a practice where we say, it's okay, this is how we deal with things like that, then it makes people, helps people get through that and feel comfortable continuing to, you know, push hard in the future. Um, You know, I've seen it actually get people more engaged where sometimes, you know, if things go wrong, you might see people drift away and disconnect and and feel less excited or confident in themselves. 
I think those are those are some really tactical things that you just got to invest in and maintain and, and don't sacrifice if you want to maintain a high level of psychological safety. Oh, there's, there's one more thing that, that I think is also sometimes neglected is leading by example. I think one of those that's, that, that's a challenge for leaders and managers because of the typical personality types that we have is we can sometimes take a lot of space in a room in a meeting. And I think leading by example means making a lot of space for others, actively helping personality types who are less uh, participatory in meetings, making space for them to chime in. Another thing is, is also showing vulnerability and talking about some of the challenges that you have or showing vulnerability and throwing out kind of a wild or even silly idea, even if you know it might get shot down, just to say like, hey, like I'm fair game too. Like I'm, you know, human and even you have silly ideas. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I have a lot of silly ideas. (laughs) Um, And then, you know, the next step is then admitting when you're wrong and like making it not a big deal. Like, oh yeah, you know what? I wasn't right on that. You, you've got this. And so so I think that what that does, that helps like seed that healthy debate and makes it comfortable to rumble through ideas and find the best outcomes. Because really like what you're, the reason that healthy teams produce better outcomes is that, that there's a diversity of experiences and perspectives that come to the table. And then there's this exponential thing as people can build mental models of everyone else's experiences that, uh, that things accelerate and you really have these beautiful uh, results that come, come from that, uh, that kind of debate. It sounds like a lot of it is is being consistent and doubling yeah. down on on what you have agreed upon. So, um, if you don't mind me asking, how often do you have uh, one on ones within your own team, for example? It depends on the relationship and the reports. It's hard as in growing organizations as people are added and, and sometimes people are overloaded. But I think weekly with people where it's a really important relationship bi-weekly. Uh, there's lots of different ways to do it. I think the most important thing is the consistency, though, is so that people know, you know, as you, let's say you have a tough day and it's Tuesday and you're like, oh, when am I going to get to talk to my manager about this or so-and-so about this? Because there's nothing on the calendar. And so, you know, even if it's two weeks out, like the last time you talked was Monday and your bad day was Tuesday and you know that the next time you're going to talk for sure is Monday, but you can count on that. You're able to kind of put that aside and be like, all right, I know I'm going to be able to talk to Dan about this on next Monday. It's not the most ideal, but, you know, I know it's there. And I think that's what gives people confidence in that. And I think the same is for team retrospectives. Like, oh, we had like this shipping, this feature has been really hard and we've got some stuff to work on as a team. Making sure that whether it's Fridays or every other Friday, people know we're going to take time to talk about this. Let's people put it aside and not have that anxiety of when are we going to actually resolve it? You can kind of get over it, get back to work, get back to the next things, be productive. And then, you know, it's going to be on the agenda in that next meeting. So I think whether, you know, timing is less important, it's more about that accountability or reliability of, mm-hmm. of that channel of communication. That sounds really safe, to be honest with you. <laughs> um, so as a leader, you have mentioned a couple of things, but what, for example, constitutes your daily or weekly or monthly routine of promoting psychological safety? It's interesting. I think it depends on where the organization is at and where mm-hmm. your teams are at. If you feel like the organization is really lacking in it, then you know you have to be talking about it all the time, potentially have more anchor points in your 
weekly or or daily practices to push this kind of thing forward. However, you know, when it really spins up and it's it's been fun to see as we've built out more teams at One Medical, how it's just kind of something that becomes ingrained in the culture and only needs a little bit of effort to keep that flywheel spinning. So I think it really, you have to think about where the organization is at. If you feel like people are really disengaged and they're not able to communicate and nobody's bringing ideas to the table, there's not a lot of ownership. Mm -hmm. I mean, I would be talking about it all the time. I'd be talking about continuous improvement. I would be talking about psychological safety, equal talk time, you know, probably doing more one-on-ones, you know, at a leadership level, if you're talking to multiple teams, having people tell us. Uh, we we have a practice where every other week we we actually have our teams tell us about hey what what continuous improvement are you investing in this week like from your retrospectives what have you learned like what worked and also what didn't work and we're like oh that's a cool learning that this little process change you tried didn't work and then one we can share that broader in the organization but two it, it lets people know that that process and practice is important to us so I think it's all about dialing for the the amount of change you want to see in the organization. I think once people feel it and feel the importance of this and the acceleration and productivity you get, it does become pretty natural and it's hard to fall away from it. I see. So in your experience, once you introduce the concept and, and people start buying into it, it's a self-generating yeah. process maybe? I believe I do believe that there is an inflection point where, and this is with a lot of organizational change things, there is an inflection point where, yeah, the flywheel starts to spin itself, you know, and and that's because you're building other leaders in the organization and they're perpetuating a lot of the things that they've learned. So it's it becomes a distributed understanding as to why this works and, and what's important. And again, that goes back to that foundation of educating and transparency and and people like they know why this works and they understand some of the core tenets. And so as things start to slip and feel weird, they can go back to that understanding and say, oh, you know what? We haven't done a retrospective in two months. No mm-hmm. wonder we're all like at each other's throats and not feeling great about work. Let's let's get back to that practice. And so not that you should ever stop preaching or teaching or or whatever as, as new people enter the organization or, or teams lose track, but it definitely does build momentum and keep itself going after time. Mm-hmm. That's a great question. So yeah, the, the, the scenario you're presenting is like, wow, we've got a crazy deadline. We need to just get this thing out to our customer. And even maybe the team is working really well together and they're able to produce a lot. And it, it seems like, oh, this thing that doesn't actually produce value to our customer might be the first thing to sacrifice. It's kind of a a false intuition that, okay, we cut this thing and we'll we'll actually produce more. If you can imagine traveling at a high velocity in a certain direction, um, it's even more important to stop and put your head up. Because if you're going a million miles an hour and your vector is off just by a slight degree, that exacerbates itself to a larger degree over time. So I think it's really just maintaining that discipline and uh, and sticking to your guns about how these practices are always important and not kind of falling into that false feeling like, oh, we just need to cram in core work into every part of our, our work week. So I think it's important to model that as a leadership team and in your management practices, make sure that some of the things I talked about earlier are just non-negotiable in, in how you do your work processes. Mm-hmm. That sounds like a, a really great piece of advice for, for all of us. 
thank you, Dan, for joining us. Is there is yeah. there anything else that you would like to add as a final note? No, I, I mean, I think that's it. We covered a lot in a short amount of time. I mean, again, I could probably talk about this for days, but it's a fun topic. And I think anybody who starts to learn about it and invest in it with their teams will feel the difference and be happier for it. So That sounds really great. Thanks, Dan, for joining us today. Yeah, thank you. This was fun. Many thanks to Dan Rammel from One Medical. One Medical is a medical practice connecting people-centered design and technology with talented primary care providers. Dan joined us today, and I am Carolina Toth. I thank you all for tuning in to Level Up Engineering. Thanks for staying with us. This was the Level Up Engineering Podcast by Apex Lab. Check them out at apexlab.io. And don't forget to subscribe to our channel, rate our content, and share your thoughts on this episode. See you next time. See you next time.